Well, good morning, church. It is once again just so, so good to be in person and also online. So I just want to welcome you all here today. When I was really young, I remember going to my grandparents' house a lot in Virginia. Um, I, I, I remember that uh, every Sunday morning that I was there, my grandma would wake me up to an awesome breakfast. How, did anybody have a grandma that just like just did a breakfast like you've just never had before? No, just me? You should have known her. Um, it, she, she made just an incredible breakfast for me, and I really thought, like, did, does she just do this all the time? And I realized she probably didn't, but she just wanted to make me feel uh, like I belonged there. And so she'd make this incredible breakfast, and immediately after breakfast, it was like, okay, now you've got to get dressed for church. And, and I remember getting dressed for church, and there was always a part that when I was really little, I just didn't know what to do, and it was with the tie. And it was when little kids had to wear things like ties to church. And I, I remember my grandpa coming in, and he would always show me, he would stand behind me, and he would fold my tie over, and I tried to watch how he did it because I just thought, this is magical, and I'm pretty sure I'm never going to do this. Can I just use a clip-on? And he was just like, no, no, you don't use clip-on ties. So he, he put the tie on me and then made sure it was perfectly straight, and it was, it was like tight, and it looked good. And, and I just remember feeling just so cared for. And then I remember every single time he would do that, he stayed home, and I went to church with just my grandma. And I was always just like, that's weird, but I guess like grandpas don't go to church. That's, that's what I thought. And um, it took me a whole bunch of years to get the courage to ask my grandma what that was all about. And I remember she told me with sadness, she said, well, a long time ago, we went to a church and uh, we got really involved in the church. And your grandpa was uh, someone who went every week and he served a lot. And uh, one day we found out that the pastor had stolen a lot of money in the church and she said, it didn't really affect me, except I felt sad, and he was disciplined. And, uh, but your grandpa just decided that day that he would never go to church again, because he just couldn't trust the people that were in leadership. Uh, years later, I became a Christian, and I, I really took, uh, I took seriously like, what the Bible had to say, and it concerned me about my grandpa. And I just remember being so worried. I was frustrated. I'd say things to my grandma like, well... There are no perfect people in church. You know, I, I was starting to practice things that I was learning in church. Like, in other words, like, how come grandpa didn't go to church? And I'd say things like, there aren't any perfect people in church. Or if you find a perfect church, make sure you don't go there because then you'll make it not perfect. And I, I had all these things that I, that I thought were good to say. And as, as a young Christian, I had a zeal for all things Jesus. And I think that's a wonderful thing to have. It's good to have zeal. And it's also good to have wisdom to apply to that zeal. How many of you know that? So uh, I, I didn't really have that wisdom, but I took the Bible very seriously. I remember reading it like it was my job. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it speaks to the importance of the church. Like the church is actually a really important thing. The Bible tells us that and we experience that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Uh, how many of you know we need to be encouraged to keep doing things? We need to be encouraged to be loving. We need to be encouraged to stay on the right track and, and head in the right direction. And we can do that better together than when we're isolated and alone. 
And then it says, uh, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that just tells us the, the importance of how do, you, how do you spur each other along if you aren't gathering? How do you spur each other along if you aren't encouraging each other? We've all seen people that have decided to stop going to church. And, and what ends up ultimately happening, it can come from a place of woundedness. And I'm, I'm sure there are probably stories in this room about wounding that's happened in church. And it's really easy to, to get off track and to stop gathering with people. But what happens really quickly is that your spiritual health starts to suffer because you're meant to have other people speak into your life. You're meant to have other people say, hey, I, I've just noticed this thing and I, I'm concerned about it for you. And when you don't have that, you might think that you're heading in the right direction, but you actually are not geared to, to hold the spiritual weight of going in the right direction all by yourself. There's not one of us that, that has it together enough to do that. I, I would bet that there have been times in your lives that you've wanted to, though, right? You sort of want to find your own way for whatever reason. Now, here's the thing. As I've gotten older, I, I realize that the quick answers to people's struggles um, aren't really sufficient. They, they don't really work that well. Um, I, when I was a young believer, they were very well-intended when I'd say things like, well, there are no p perfect people allowed in church. And, and, you know, if you find a perfect church, make sure you don't go. It's sort of that zinger that pastors used to say. And I've realized, like, I, I, I sometimes dismiss the pain that life can bring. Sometimes when, when people really were sharing their hearts with me, I would give them a prescription instead of sitting with them in their struggle. And, and, and then I accidentally inflicted more pain on them by, by giving them a trite message instead of the heart of God. And that's a problem because the Bible and our faith journeys is never meant to be used as a battering ram against other people. It's never meant to, the Bible is not a, a great weapon to use to, to make people believe. And hey, if I drill you hard enough with the words in this Bible, then you're gonna get this love of God. Those things don't gel, but we do them. We do them and, and it's a problem. But we're supposed to be beautiful examples of love and patience and kindness and goodness. The Apostle Paul describes what the life of a Christian really should look like. And it's, it was true 2,000 years ago and it's true today. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the spirit. In other words, the, when the Holy Spirit lives in you as a Christian, and, and how many of you know that when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside you? That's a promise of, of the gift of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. So what, what, what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is that this is what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these are challenging, aren't they? These are tough. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are really, really hard things. But we don't have to figure it out all on our own because the Spirit lives in us and He is working and moving us along this, this pathway, this journey to becoming who He has made us to be. And it's to look like Jesus. What I've learned in life also is that it's, uh, the reality is I'm going to encounter situations that make me uncomfortable. I'm going to encounter people and, and struggles that challenge my theology. Um, and that's not a bad thing. 
It's actually a good thing. I, I believe God sends you people and he sends you, you, you uh, challenging times and, and trials even so that you move along towards becoming more like Jesus. But you and I always have a choice to make when these things happen. When someone brings you a struggle, you always have a choice. You can choose to be a battering ram and, and you can sort of fashion yourself as a soldier of God or... You can sit with a fellow struggler and you can invite them to conversation. You can say, I am so sorry that you're hurting. Why don't we sit down and have a talk about this and let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us to a next step. You know, it's so much more effective in my view to say, <clears throat> I don't have it all figured out. I, I'm not really sure why that happened in your life, but real, that's, that sounds awful. That sounds painful. I know when people meet me with that, my defensiveness kind of comes down and I'm just like, oh, so you see me. Oh, so you hear me. Let, that you, you're someone that's not gonna tell me how, how to fix my problem immediately when you've never gone through this, but you're saying, let's sit together and have a conversation. Let's sit together and ask the Lord to speak into this situation today. Well, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, for, for those online who might not know who I am, I'm Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge. We're continuing in our series called Alpha as we explore some of the most basic questions that humans experience in life, and, and we're really looking at some of the basic foundational ideas that, that create Christianity. And today, we're going to talk about all things church. Okay, that, that's so appropriate considering we're, we're gathered today as a community of believers, which is what the church is. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, in March of 2020, how many of you are tired of hearing someone start with in March of 2020, right? Okay, I'm, I, I promise I'm not going to do it in my next sermon, but in March of 2020, um, in my mind, it was both last, somehow it was both last week was March of 2020 and it was also 186 years ago. Anybody else sort of feel like time is very confusing? Uh, th this pandemic has been so weird. It has strained us um, physically, financially. It's um, stressed out relationships. How many of you guys have had some complicated interactions with people because of the pandemic? It's all weird. And th the funny thing is, uh, we all tend to think we're exactly right, <laughs> right? Like, like, like we, we, we say things that make other people not want to come near us, but that's, that's not what we're called to do. So in March of 2020, um, the Edge Church really changed, um, like totally, the foundation of the church shifted, just like so many other churches did, when we stopped meeting in person. We met at Matea Valley High School, and then all the high schools in the district said, no one can meet in the building because of the pandemic. But here's the good news. Just because we didn't have a place to meet, it doesn't mean the Edge Church ceased to exist, right? Isn't that good news? As a matter of fact, we had multiple venue changes and multiple expressions of what the church looks like. And today we call ourselves a hybrid church. And all that means is that we're a church that has multiple opportunities each week to meet online and in person. And we think it's awesome that we have technology that allows us to do that. How many of you are so thankful for technology? I'm thankful for people like Ryan Van Campen who uses his gift to create space for us all through this pandemic um, for us to gather in unique ways. Um, we're a hybrid church. And um, so the question that we have to answer today is, so what is church? 
If church can look like different things in different places, then what is church? Well, it's clearly not a specific building, and for that, I am super thankful, right? It's not about a building at all, as a matter of fact. We've experienced that um, church is an experience with people, and that can happen both online and in person. Um, But in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus made a, a powerful, strong statement on what the church is. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 18, he says, and I tell you, he's speaking to the apostle Peter. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And then he says something that is, I mean, this is just like, this is a mic drop Bible moment. He says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a powerful statement. Really what he's saying is the church is God's idea, right? The church is God's idea, and even hell won't overcome God's idea and God's plan. That is really, really good news. Now, here's the thing. At some points, you sort of look at at, at different things that happen in different churches, and you're like, I'm not sure about that, Lord. I'm seeing a whole lot of dysfunction and a whole lot of, uh, of bruises and battering that happens in the church, and I'm not sure if the church is going to do it. Well, I believe it's going to happen because Jesus said it, and Jesus fulfills promises. He is just a, he's a promise keeper because the church is God's idea. So what is church? Well, the definition of church, we, we have to go to the Greek word for church in the New Testament, and it's ekklesia. And ecclesia simply means a gathering of people living out the mission of God together. A gathering of people. So, so where, where is that? Is it a location? No, it's where people are. Because God makes his home in us because we have the Holy Spirit in us. So wherever people are who are believers in Jesus Christ, that's where the church is right? And we're gathered today as a large group, and that means the Holy Spirit is working in each and every one of us who has called on the name of Jesus Christ. That's powerful, right? So we have a, there's a lot of power in this room, and it's not because of people, but it is because God works through his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. So what does it look like then to live out? What does the church look like lived out And what does it mean for us in 2021 and beyond? Well, to understand this, we really have to go back to the very start of the church. When did the church start? Was there a church in the Old Testament? Well, not a church. There was a temple, and it was very different than it is for us as uh, on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ. We, uh, We have to look back that Jesus had died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And then he went back to to heaven to be with the Father, but he said something very specific to his followers. He said, I want you to gather in Jerusalem, and I don't want you to leave this place until I send this gift that I promised, the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Steve talked about the Holy Spirit last week, and it was awesome. So go back and listen to that message if you haven't listened. Because the Holy Spirit is, it's not, the, the Spirit is not just a force. Yes, the Spirit has a force, but the Spirit is the third person of this trinity, this, this mysterious thing that God made. It's this Godhead. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus said, I want you all to stay here in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit to start the church. So the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. 
With the Holy Spirit, there's a catalyst that has started a movement that God said no one will overcome. That's amazing. It's amazing. So we go back to Acts chapter two and God did just what he said he would and he sent the Holy Spirit. And we know that in, in, in one day, this incredible thing happened. There were hearts that were far from God and they were turned back to God through Jesus because of the witness of the Holy Spirit and because of the words of the apostle Peter that the Holy Spirit empowered. So this amazing thing happened. Hearts were turned back to God, so conviction happened. Conviction is different than shame. Conviction is always pointing you to God. Shame always makes you want to run from God. Very different things. So so all these people were convicted and the church exploded with growth. Exploded with growth. And people joined the church after repenting and being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite passages, I share this almost every Sunday that I preach, and it's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I love it because it tells people how to get on the path. And here's the thing, we can talk about anything else, but if you don't choose to get on this path yourself, you're just listening to words that will have no effect on your life. You have to choose for yourself. Acts 2.38, it says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then there's the promise, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is simple and direct, and you can't afford to miss it, okay? You can't afford to miss it. It's God's promise for every single one of us. Doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what you've done, your socioeconomic status, how rich or poor you are, it is for you if you just turn from your sin, turn to the Lord, and he fills you with the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. And then right after that, 3,000 people join this church in one day. That is, that is just mind-blowing to me, how, how, how God was so excited and, and just how he implemented and caused the start of the church. 3,000 people went from zero to 3,000. I mean, that is unbelievable. Right after that, we're told what the church was characterized by. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, there's so much more that we could talk about related to the church. I mean, there's, there's just so much, so many sermons could be preached on what the church is. But I think this passage gives us a, an amazing overview of what the church is actually called to look like today also. Really simply, here's our first idea today. The church is a place to believe. The church is a place to believe. What what do we mean by that? So I want to point out that the very first thing that we're told in the passage is that uh, the church uh, focused, they were actually devoted to the, the apostles' teaching, okay? Devoted is a really strong word, right? It doesn't sound like halfway. It doesn't sound like, uh, I'm going to dip my toe in the water and see what it's like. Of course, we all can do that, but the the, the full expression of the church is this this powerful um, 
It is, it's not casual, it's incredibly intentional and it's centrally focused. Uh, the word devoted, I think it, it's helpful for us to understand. I think most of us know what it means, but I love this definition. It says, given over to the display, the study, or discussion of. Given over. <clears throat> How many of you guys have been given over to something? My, my guess is that there have been plenty of things in your life that you've sort of been given over to. Do you remember the start? Uh, if you're in a relationship today, do you remember the start of your relationship? Most likely, most likely, you, you didn't just, you weren't like passively excited about this. No, you were probably like, oh my gosh, I think this is the one. I, the, this person is so amazing. Like, I just want to spend all of my time talking to her or talking to him. And, and you're just like, everything is about this person. And all of a sudden you forget you have friends. <laughs> you forget these people that have like hung out with you since you were like 10 years old. And you're just like, I don't even care about those people anymore. Now, listen, I, I know that's not literal, but that's how you feel. You feel totally given over to this thing. Well, I think being devoted to the teaching of the apostles is very similar to this. It means that God isn't a small part of your life. You're not allowing God to come into just the corner. What you're saying is, Lord, I am yours and I'm giving you permission to take anything that you want and use me exactly how you want to use me. It's a powerful dedication. But the church isn't just about believing anything. You know, some, sometimes people think that, well, whatever you believe, you know, that's okay. And, and here's, this is my truth and, and that's your truth and that works for you and this works for me. No, that's, that's not the kind of belief that we're talking about. No, we're talking about a centrally focused belief. It is not my job or Pastor Steve's job or Brandy's job to come up here and, and say, well, here's an option. You know, here's something you might consider. No, we're called to, to be very specific in, in, in what we teach and, and hold tight to, uh, to orthodox doctrine. And we, we tell you unapologetically, we believe there is one way to heaven. And there is a, a path of holiness that Christians are called to, to walk on. And the path is narrow. It's not wide. The path is narrow. There's a specificity here, and it's not about believing in anything. It's about believing in a person. And it's not about believing in just any person. It's about believing in the one person who claimed to be God and claimed to be man, and that is Jesus. He's the only one that we are calling you to believe in. The very specific teachings of the apostles all can be boiled down to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. This is the, the focus of the church. It's, it's what Paul said. He said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And listen to this. This is really significant wording. By this gospel, you are saved. If. This is not a Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so everybody goes to heaven. No, listen very, very closely. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. It's a specific word about a specific person. This is incredibly important. He says, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of what? Not second, not, not, not a casual connection, no, of first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. People say, well, well, maybe it wasn't literal. Maybe this is just talking about something. No, 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 that's literal. Listen, to believe in Jesus Christ, you need to believe that he literally died, that he literally was buried, and that his body came out of the grave, not just his spirit, not just his spirit. It's all of these things we have to believe. If you're here today and you're, you're sort of like, I'm not sure that I believe that, that's okay. That's okay. You're welcome to explore and you're welcome to, to pray and you're welcome to sit and have coffee with me or, or a, a chai latte with Steve because he can't drink black coffee or you know any other people in the church that, that believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You are welcome to ask questions. You are welcome to sit with your doubts. As a matter of fact, we will sit with you in your doubts. We will pray for you and we will pray with you. But we will never, ever, ever invite you into anything less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never will we invite you into anything less than the invitation that God has given to us. And that invitation um, from God is through us also. It's not just to us, it's through us. Because once you become a follower of Jesus, one of the marks of, of being a follower of Jesus is that you're excited enough to talk to other people about being a follower of Jesus. And that you live in a way that's invitational to others so that they actually want to follow Jesus with you. And you know, it's not all on you. The Holy Spirit is gonna do an amazing thing and, and, and speak through you and speak just exactly what someone needs to hear at just the right time, because he's good like that. He will meet you where you are and he'll meet other people where they are through you, through your faithfulness to proclaim the message. This is an invitation of God. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, it says, all this is from God. We have to remember all of this, the belief, the church, it's all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not the way we would have chosen, right? If we were God, we would have been like, yeah, I'm not really gonna trust people with this message. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna broadcast it on social media. I'm gonna start an account. I'm gonna make sure it's verified through Twitter. And, and then I'm gonna get this message out. And it's, it's one message and it's from me. But no, God says, I want to use these people. I want to use each person. That is so amazing that God not only loves us and wants us to be with him forever, but he wants to use us in this incredible work that he's doing to reconcile an unbelieving world to himself. He wants to use us. All of this is from God. He says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making this appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So belief is the start. And the second thing the church is for, the church is a place to belong. The church is a place to belong. God knows, and I don't mean that in a flippant way, I mean like literally the creator of all things knows how important that love and belonging are to the human heart. It's just something we all search for. We, we never really want to be alone. When you see people that are isolated for too long, it's, it's never good for their mental health. We've seen um, during this whole pandemic, we've seen mental health really, really take some hits because of isolation because we were meant to be in community. We were meant to belong. 
one of the, um, one of the things that, that we see is that uh, when prisoners are put in solitary confinement, it does the, the worst damage to their mental health. Studies show it's just devastating. So it's a tremendously powerful punishment and it does horrible things to the mental health of prisoners. Um, multiple studies on PBS uh, on PBS were, were done about um, solitary confinement. And these were very common things that happened uh, because of it. Uh, visual and auditory hallucinations. Okay, that's terrifying. Hypersensitivity to noise and touch. Insomnia and paranoia. Uncontrollable feelings of rage and fear. Distortions of time and perception. These, of course, shouldn't be a surprise that then it leads to an increased risk of suicide. And, and obviously, it leads to post-traumatic stress disorder. I want to ask you this. Do you, do you know, can anybody tell me? You can, you can say it if you know it. Do you know the very first time that God said something was bad? Anyone? Thanks, Steve. <laughs> hey, how about any non-pastors next time? <laughs> it's true. Most people will say, oh, no, it's, it's temptation in the garden, or it's when someone committed the first sin. No, that's not when God said it was bad. As a matter of fact, Genesis 2.18, it says, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Listen, it's not good for anyone to be alone. Whether you get married or not, you're still not made to be alone. Some people won't get married, and that's okay. But you're not meant to be alone no matter who you are. God knew what it's taken researchers thousands of years to figure out is that we were made to belong somewhere. We need to belong. Do you remember back in high school when you first learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Do you remember it's, it's this, you can almost picture it in your textbook. It's like this pyramid and it shows a base. Like here are the things that a person needs to thrive and it motivates behavior. And of course, like food and shelter are the very first things that he says. And then you go up to like the third level and this is still a very high level need. Belonging is one of those needs. All of us have a need to belong. And all of us look for belonging in, in different places, don't we? We look for it in school. We look for it on our blocks and our neighborhoods. Like when we're kids, we, we want friend groups. And then you go to college and you join a fraternity or a sorority. I did that. That's exactly why I, I joined a fraternity, because I wanted to feel like I had a brotherhood. I wanted to feel like I belong somewhere, that, that people had my back. And we, we look all over the place. Psychologists recognize today that, that church is one of those places that is extremely good for the mental health of people because it is a place where belonging is experienced. All throughout the New Testament, we get this picture from the Apostle Paul, particularly in his letters, this, this image of togetherness, this image of coming together. Opposing groups coming together, people that you would never hang out with because you have differences, coming together because you have one thing that's more important than all of your differences, and it's Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 19, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice it doesn't say you were brought near because of your social status. Notice it, it, it doesn't say you got invited to come near because of your race. No, it says you come near because of the blood of Christ. 
And he continues, he says, for he himself is our peace. What is your peace based on? None of those other things on Jesus Christ, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Oh my gosh, when you think about that, it doesn't matter what your differences are. Jesus says he has made a way for all those differences to to come together and, and you have something in common that's more important than all of those differences and it is Jesus Christ, it's the spirit of God. It feels so good to belong and it feels so good to belong in a place that isn't fickle and it's not going to change based on how you might change. or or what you look like, or someone else comes in who looks different than you and they say, well, we don't like your kind. No, the church is bigger than that because it's based on the unchanging love of God expressed through his son, Jesus. Family can be an amazing thing in its purest form, right? It can be amazing. But we also know that, that plenty of you grew up in families that were, were, were not the examples. It wasn't the pinnacle of togetherness. It wasn't the pinnacle of love. And, and, and certainly things that uh, are bad can happen in churches too. But God calls us. He calls us to be different. He calls us to be loving and kind and filled with his spirit. The ultimate expression of family is found in the eternal It's not found in anything else that you have common with any other people on this earth. I love this this very, very strange story um, in Matthew. Uh, Jesus was speaking to a crowd and all of a sudden, it sounds like his mom and brothers came to the door like where he was speaking. And it was one of those things where it's almost like, do, do you have certain people that if you're in a meeting, um, everyone knows that you're going to take this person's call anyway? Uh, like, like typically, like for me, like if, if my wife calls and I'm in almost any meeting, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, can you just give me a second? Brandy's calling. Or if one of my girls is calling, I'm probably going to do that too. Well, I sort of picture this happening with Jesus. He is, he's speaking to a group of people and someone comes up and basically says, hey, Jesus, your mom and brothers want to have a word with you. And, and Jesus, you, you might think, well, he's so kind. He's going to stop everything and he's going to be like, I'll be right back. Mary's calling, but he doesn't. He says something that is so odd and it sounds harsh at first. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What an incredible lesson. Now listen, he wasn't wasn't dissing his mom and brothers. What he was saying is, I want to make sure that you understand what's most important because the ones that are my eternal family are the ones who do the will of God. This life is really short and some of you got the short end of the stick in your families on earth. 
Can we just acknowledge that? It's just the reality of life. But when you enter into this eternal family where all things are made new and there are no more tears, there's a togetherness and it's, it's powerful and it's gonna be all beautiful, no sickness, no sorrow, no pain. That's the expression of the eternal family of God made possible by the Holy Spirit. So the church is a place to believe. It's a place to belong. And it's also a place to become. The church is a place to become. What are we supposed to become? Do we have to act a certain way? So maybe you're hearing this and you're like, okay, so that means I have to be good. You came in here and you don't know much about Jesus and you're like, okay, I'm gonna really try hard to be good. Well, I wanna tell you this, that um, anytime I just try to be really good, I realize so quickly how not good I am. <laughs> how about you guys? You, you, get on a, you get on a diet plan or an exercise plan, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with sheer willpower. Well, it's way harder, way harder to be good than to get on a diet and exercise plan, right? It's way harder. It's just, we, we, you don't have to come here and try to be good. You don't have to stop doing certain things to come and be a part of our community. No, you're welcome if you're totally screwed up, and you're welcome if you look like you pretty much have everything together because here's what we know, you don't. We can look all the ways. You can wear the right clothes and you can wear ragged clothes and you're equally welcome in this place because God shows no favoritism to people. He wants every person, regardless of what you look like, whether you have it all together or you don't. The point is, the point is not to try to be good because you can't be good. There's a quote by uh, pastor and author Max Lucado that I've appreciated for years. Most of you guys have probably heard this, and I love it. He said, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. That, that's that's life-changing if you really, really pay attention to it. It's not just a cute quote. It's beautiful. He wants you to become just like Jesus. He doesn't say, try really hard to act like you're like Jesus. No, he says, he loves you just as you are. So take a deep breath. He, wh- however you are today, however you walked in here, he, he actually loves you. And not just loves you, he likes you. But he's going to change you if you give your heart to him. If you repent and you turn to Jesus, he will do amazing things in your life but it's not based on your effort. So what is it about Jesus that we're supposed to become like? So let's say everybody here says, yes, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I repented and I I was baptized and I received the Holy Spirit. What does it look like uh, to, what are we supposed to get about Jesus? Well, Paul uh, says something beautiful in Philippians chapter two, verses one through eight. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And then he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As, as much as some of you would love to live out your Christian faith journey in a vacuum completely removed from people, the reality is you will never grow in your spiritual journey if you aren't gathering with others. You just won't. We'll never get closer to the Lord without engaging in, in, in relationships. And we want to sometimes because people hurt us. Doesn't mean you have to engage with every person, but you do need to step into relationship with others. And particularly the ones who also believe in this, in this eternal God who came to make a brand new way and to reconcile us to the Father. The church is God's idea. It's a place to believe, to belong, and become. A place to belong in the deepest of senses. So today, whether you're online or here in person, I want to encourage you to take a next step on your spiritual journey. If you've never taken the step of belief, I want to encourage you to do that today. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've never felt like you belong, Sometimes I've struggled with that, the feeling of belonging. It comes, it comes in all sorts of different ways. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I'm enjoying this, but I still don't really feel like I belong. We invite you to belong here with us. We'd love to sit with you and explain what that looks like, what it would look like to belong in our church. We recently did a membership meeting and we, we just want to tell you what our church is about. We want to tell you what it looks like to belong so if you haven't made that decision yet, we'd love to sit down and talk to you about that. And if you'd like to, to discuss what it looks like for you to take next steps um, in becoming, you sort of feel stuck and you're like, I just keep going around this same, this same track or I'm really struggling with this one thing and, and I know God wants me to let it go, but I, I can't figure out what I need to do, what that next step looks like. We would love to talk with you and pray with you and, and just ask God together, how his Holy Spirit might be working in your transformation. In just a minute, we're going to receive communion. And communion is a beautiful expression of the togetherness of the church. It's a, it's a place that expresses belief and it demonstrates belonging because he, he did this for us. Jesus died on the cross. He sacrificed his body and his blood so that we could, we could believe, belong, and become all that he has made us to be. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving, and he's speaking about the body and blood of Christ. He said, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. I'm going to give thanks in just a moment. And you're going to notice um, in the back, there are two stations for communion. So after I pray, um, the band is going to play and you just get up and move to the station that's closest to you. Receive communion in your own time um, and just be grateful that the Lord has made a way. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks for the church. We give thanks for this church. Lord, we ask that today, 
as we receive uh, the emblems which represent your body and your blood. We would never ever treat this as a religious exercise, but that we would truly pause and we would remember that all of this was created because of you. Jesus, thank you so much for sacrificing your body for us. Your body was broken so that we could come home. Thank you for your blood, which cleanses us of all unrighteousness. God, we thank you that you made a way for us to come home. You made a way for a place for us to belong. Help us to become all that you've made us to be, to one day look just like Jesus. And it's in his matchless name we pray. Amen. Please make your way 